You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn and Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. This week, we are digging into low-code technology with Dave Wyatt, Senior Staff Engineer at TJX Europe. Dave is an expert Microsoft Power Platform developer. The Power Platform is a fascinating and evolving platform. It's a Microsoft Azure cloud-based platform that integrates Microsoft's low-code solutions, Power BI, Power Automate, Power Apps, and Power Pages with Microsoft 365 and Dynamics 365. It's also where Microsoft's co-pilot AI lives. So it sounds and I think is a massive deal. I think it's highly relevant to the payments industry, particularly when you think about digital transformation and automating the multitude of manual back office steps and replacing or at least upgrading the industry's dependency on Excel. So a lot to pay attention to in this podcast with Dave Wyatt. Welcome to the uh, podcast. Great to speak to you today. How are you doing? Yes, excited to talk. So a lot to cover as we just discussed in our kind of warm-up discussion. So let's dive into that. But before we do, perhaps just a, a brief personal introduction from yourself. I'm the quintessential citizen developer. I started off in, in retail, so I was a manager, and then through opportunities, basically starting off with kind of Excel and other things, I progressed into kind of IT roles. Uh, and I'm a very big advocate of the Power Platform. It's the one that I kind of really interest at the moment and really driven my development, my opportunities in my career. So, so I'm curious about the journey you've gone on in your career, right? So from, like you say, a non-technical role to, would you describe your role? I mean, right now you're a citizen developer, maybe you can kind of define that in a bit, but so would you, would you consider your current role a fairly technical role? Exactly. And I think that's the big thing about low code and that kind of the idea of citizen developer is finding that pool of resources that aren't normally easy to find and then leveraging people with business skills. There's lots of technical IT people out there, but for them to have an understanding of the product that they may be making or the data that's flowing through it, citizen developers are brilliant for that because they understand exactly what is needed rather than what people think they need. Okay. Let's just frame our discussion a bit around low code. There's a lot of noise around low-code platforms and all the development and investment going into it. Obviously, it's being, it seems to be accelerated even more now with AI. So why don't we, you know, in your, in your, as you talk me through your career, perhaps you can just also define low-code for me. Let's define low-code. I mean, the whole point of coding in the history of coding is everything is progressively getting low-code. For me, that's it's been a journey from working on the, you know, machine code, binary to low-level languages to high-level languages, even things like VBA and Python, if you look at the syntax, it's a little easier for more and more people to build it. And then you think of stuff now like packages and uh, component frameworks and things like that. That's all a growth to low-code. But what everybody generally thinks about low-code is that leap from pro... It's almost like if you think of it as a scale, we've been moving down towards then low-code's come the other way. So that's the low-code tech we're talking about. It's actually going to meet. They're both low-code in the middle, but the technology that I generally deal with has come more from that kind of no-code side and, and grown towards it. Generally means that interaction level that makes things kind of abstract and easier to do. So instead of you having to know that all that thousand rows of code, you only need to know one line of code because we know that that's the most important piece of code. 
And that's kind of the low code evolution of how the two sides are coming to meet. You've got pro code getting easier and no code getting more clever and more powerful. Uh, and that's definitely where it's going. For me, I've kind of started at the bottom side. All right. That's really helpful. So for me, I mean, no code, low code for me is also about sort of point and click, drag and drop, yeah. sort of highly visual. Um, exactly. You, you yeah. are abstracting away the complexity, mm. but then you don't want to go too far. So some respects, no code is great, but no code has limitations around. I always have this building block philosophy, which is no code, you've got five different shapes and then low code, you've got 20 and then pro code, you've got a thousand. You can be more efficient and more powerful with those thousand, but 90% of the stuff that you want to use is just those 10 low code ones. And probably 60% is your no code one. So you have to think about the balance of the trade-off. Like if you want real power, real granularity, then you might have to go into pro code. But low code can do so much with that smaller building blocks. Well, why is it called low code rather than no code? What is the difference between no and no code? Yeah, so no code is exactly what you said, which is literally drag and drop. Yeah. And there is pointless nothing. to almost nothing. Power Automate to me is on the line because an expression isn't really code, but it can kind of get there. So Power Automate is, for me is a no code, borderline no code. You go into Power Apps and then you drag in a lot, but then you have to code out. Like it's a basic language, so PowerFX, is a lovely language that is designed to work like Excel. Mm-hmm. So it's got an expression-based language, but it allows you to do more things. So low code is a little bit more powerful and allows you to do more. Right. And so at least, I mean, part of the the real excitement about this space is because it's due to the fact that low code or no code platforms are making tech development, you know, more accessible for non-IT pros, business people, right? Absolutely. And then the flip side of that, it's also empowering IT technical teams to be faster and more productive as well. Right. So there is both sides to it. And that's what's great. No code, low code was very much targeted, like you said at the beginning, which is purely around non-technical people being able to be technically sufficient. But then if anything, that's a good technology, then you kind of think as a IT person, well, actually I can be very productive with that and I yeah. can integrate it. And that's kind of the journey that low code has gone on. It's gone to start off very much sits and developer Excel users, access users. Yeah. And now the businesses are actually, well, if they want Azure, it's using the same Azure services, but it's easy and quicker for the IT teams to use it. So they're not used as well. So part of our conversation, we want to explore the power platform. But before we, we get into that, let's go back to your 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 you know your experience and and you know let's go back a 10 years or what have you and, and tell me how you got into it because I think that's really interesting how how you transitioned your career. Yeah. So to my journey, I think it's I'll say it's unusual, but also I suspect it's more more common than people realize. But I worked in retail, so I was a manager shop, but then I was looking for efficiencies and better planning, like how do I plan my recruitment? How do I make sure my sales figures and I could identify things? And up in Excel was around and and then I kind of dived into Excel and I built some nice dashboards and thought, no, I really like this. And then I discovered VB, which to me was like this hallelujah moment because it was coding, but it was very easy to read. There was a fantastic support network. You know, if you ask a question in VBA on Google, you would nine times nine times out of hundred get the answer. So I could self-teach. I could try and do something, hit a wall, Google it, get the answer, and continue. And that was really kind of powerful for me. I don't learn particularly well in a classroom, or if you tell me to follow a course, I kind of need a, an end goal, a target to drive you to, uh, and I like to do it on, on my own pace. So I could sit there come up with an idea that would add value to the business. 
and then self-teach myself and deliver it. And that was my kind of where I started. And then the interesting thing about that is, on which I love about Excel is that kind of spreads. Like people see that guy can do this. Can you do this for me? Because IT teams are under such pressure to like keeping the lights on or big strategic decisions. Some small scale solutions never get picked up. They're just not the value there. For the actual businesses, they could add a lot of value. And that's where shadow IT kind of kicks up, where people kind of spin up these kind of internal solutions because they can prioritize it. And that was kind of my starting point. You know, I kind of started off as that guy who could do Excel. And then whenever IT couldn't do it, could I do something? And it, you can do so much with stuff like Excel and VBA. Some of the solutions I made were like crazy. And that was kind of my point. My Half my job was doing my job. And half the time I was doing these Excel solutions. And then with everything, a bit of luck, I got an opportunity to support the operations team and did more and more of that. And that was kind of my world of Excel being the Excel wizard. But the problem with Excel is it's always on my computer. So if I was sick or whatever, it was always hard to get that. So I was always looking for a cloud solution, how to move on to the next thing. And first of all, that was SharePoint. So I used to do lots of playing with SharePoint. I love SharePoint list. I put data in and, and play a bit. And I recommend anybody, if you want to get into the Power Platform, have a look at SharePoint. It's really powerful and can do a lot. But that obviously hit limits. I couldn't quite do what I wanted to do. And then one day there was that Power Ultimate icon that I saw and I clicked on it. And I was like, oh my God, this is... This is and this is amazing. This was the exact same thing again. I didn't need anybody's help. There's a good network of questions I could ask. And then before you know it, you are creating solutions that made my life easier. And I always remember, like, I tell people I am really lazy. If I have to do something three or four times, I don't want to do it. So I'll either simplify it or I'll automate it. And that used to be Excel VBA. But it was hard work. How automate could automate my life so quick. So then I'm saving two hours a week. And I take that two hours and invested another automation, which then saved me four hours. And then I reinvested that into another automation. And before you know it, half my work, my week was gone because I had automated my, my role. And then that to me was like, wow, that, imagine the power of that kind of grown out across the business and what you could do with that. And then I got involved in the RPA team in my business. And then I kind of progressed through and because the business realized RPA, there's lots of RPA technologies what value they can add and release people to be more productive and more and have more exciting than their kind of day job and roles. Um, and that was it. And I kind of progressed through just by taking those opportunities and self-learning. Great. You mentioned a couple of terminologies there. One is RPA, Robotic Process Automation. Yeah, so that's right. Let, let's talk about that. And also Shadow IT, I, I heard. So I think I'm sure we'd want to just clarify what, what Shadow IT is. And also, what what year did... Are you are, are we referring to when when did power Auto, when did you see that power automate icon that you mentioned when did that pop up roughly? Yeah. So first question: So RPA robotic process automation, it at its fundamental, it was very much like having a laptop and having a piece of software that could move a mouse, click a button, sign in, and automate those processes. Mm. So that was what it kind of really kicked off. At. You know, if you have somebody who had to download a hundred attachments and put it in a folder and send it to the printer. You could get a robot to do that. And then it grew into what Power Automate, which is kind of more cloud side. So it's not 100% RPA, but you can replicate the same things. So my Power Automate will take my emails, check it, send it on, download it, do all those tasks that kind of are very, RPA requires a lot of structure. If it's the same task over and over and over again, yeah. it's growing for it. So that's kind of RPA and it's a fantastic industry to get into. It's growing. I can't see it ever shrinking down and... And like, see, Microsoft's a lot very into it. You've got people like InfoPath and Blue Prism. It's a multi-billion dollar industry. It's a great industry. So Shadow IT 
Shadow IT is, it's in the name really, it's an IT department hidden away from the, from the main IT department. So what generally happens in businesses, like I said before, your big IT department has got so many big projects, tight budgets, and they try to control their, their balance. And what the business will come along and say, I want this small solution. And generally they will get told it's going to take two to three years because we're too busy. So what they would then do is find a way to build that IT solution within their own controls. And maybe IT doesn't see it. It's kind of hidden away. And Excel and Access are one of that. So lots of companies will have access databases all over their business. And IT mm. won't know about it. And you go to IT and go, I need a SQL database. And they'll go, okay, it's going to take X amount of money and it's going to take X amount of time. And the business goes, I need to put my data somewhere now. So that's an access database. And Excel, you know, Excel turned into the ultimate automation team, team report system. My, my DBAs was on my pews and emails. It used to do loads of things. So that's where Shadow IT came. And what Microsoft and IT department realized is that's a great resource. So how do we tap into it right. and do it in a way that IT can see it, but IT doesn't slow it down? And that's where citizen developer comes along. That's the whole point of citizen developer is enabling these kind of people in the in the business who can be IT, but not doing it in a way that kind of they're out of sight or have impacts. Because the worst thing about shadow IT is IT don't see it. And if that system gets upgraded, it could break all these known <laughs> kind of yeah. little automations or software, whatever's been built out there. So that's the challenge for IT departments to see it and embrace it, but also not be too worried about it or try and shut it down. I suppose I, I, Shadow IT, so long as it sits on your laptop or what have you, or desktop, that's one thing. But when it starts integrating with uh, critical services or, yeah. or the cloud services, what have you, into the, the main core of the business, that's, that's a completely different ball game in terms of risk management, I presume. And that's the challenge because some of these um, Shadow IT solutions can be not only risk the business, but it can be very critical. You could have these solutions that if they end, then suddenly teams of multiple teams can't do their job. Mm -hmm. And that was what always hurt IT teams. They've got this, and I say they've got this backlog of priority work to do. And suddenly this thing pops up that says, this is critical because all these things are broken. And like, we don't even know anything about it. Yeah. Where's your documentation? Who made it? And they're like, there's no documentation. They made it any left two years ago. And it's just been running along in the background. It's, you can imagine that kind of pain that IT teams went through. And that's where things like low code were like, well, that's a perfect opportunity to build that gap in a better way. And I think that's why it started to grow quite rapidly because IT teams first might have looked at it like, oh no, it's more shadow IT, but then they're thinking actually it gets rid of shadow IT, but keeps the benefits. Where, where do we stand today, we say? I mean, that's sort of a good background lead up to the sort of current moment. Presumably COVID had, a, had a accelerated things as well. Yeah, uh, but, I think the yeah. path was always there. COVID yeah. really enabled it, especially from an automation side. Yeah. The value of you know, not having somebody in the office to print things out and automating that side of it and empowering the people to do all the things that are more critical. Um, and with all these things, it's very exponential. One team does it, the benefits are seen, everybody wants those benefits. Mm. And it's kind of a set self-perpetuating. But I think low code's been on the grow, like I say, for all the time, it's always been growing. It was always coming. It's just, how do you, there's always a bottleneck of developers in the world. There'll never be enough developers to make these. And it's the same with things like Power BI, like there's never enough analysts out there to do these jobs. So tools like Power BI and Power Apps allow those bottlenecks to be kind of broken. You can see why companies pull that money and investment into it. So yeah, where do we, where do we stand in terms of what's the current state of, let's say, citizen developer? I mean, is that well embedded now? I mean, do you, in your view, are companies I, embracing 
the citizen developer philosophy? I think companies are, but yeah. I think companies have also been wary. Yeah. And it's been interesting. Like for me, the Power Platform is a perfect example of a little bit of evolution of low tech because Microsoft launched it in a way which was like, we're going to empower those citizen developers yeah. and we're going to make it just like Excel and Access. So, and by what that means, that is, if I, as a company, if I want you to use Power Apps Power, I don't give you a user license. I give you maker license. So you make those. So if I want you to be able to use an app, you can make your app kind of like Excel. And they also slapped in the default environment, which was like, everybody has access to you and everybody can build it, everybody can share and everybody can publish. And also we can't track very well what's going on in there, but that's not important. So that was their philosophy. And that's why it grew really quickly. Kind of everybody got into it. It was there for everybody. Everybody loved it. And then IT teams, especially in big companies were like, what is this? What are you doing? How do I see what's in there? And Microsoft were like, what do you mean? And we're like, well, how do I know how many apps I've got? And they go, well, you, you can't. And I'm like, how do I see what's in a flow? Oh, well, you have to share the flow with you and look. And I'm like, but I've got 10, do I have to share 10,000 flows? Yeah. And then they were like, okay, we need to fix this. And so the first thing they did was a CRE kit, which was great. But that which is you know, the center of excellence, right? Yeah. So they basically built Power Apps and Power Automate to sit on their own platform to track it. Now, to me, that's so straight, straight away says that's not planned. You build that into your platform, but they have to build it on their own platform to do it. And then they were like, okay, we don't have ALM, which is application lifestyle man management. And what that really means is you have a dev version, a test version, a product version, and you separate ownership so the developer can't get access to the productions. At the Power Platform, that wasn't that wasn't needed. You can just build it, release it, and move on. But the enterprise were like, well, if that's confidential data, I don't want my developer to see that or accidentally edit prod and break it. So then they were like, okay, we need to do solutions. So solutions are packages that allow us to package make the move. And then that came along. And then everything started to move to Dataverse. So if it's in a Dataverse table, the new thing that I can see as an admin and the managed environments came along, which then allows to have a lot more analytics and control of environments. We can limit sharing. And if you look so at the, that, da the, da the Dataverse is a cloud-based database, essentially. Yeah, yeah. So if you think the Power Platform, really, mm -hmm. it just sits on Azure. So Azure has all these hundred different services, but they're really complicated for and IT professionals have to set them up. So Microsoft like, well, can we package these and make them attainable? So a flow is a logic app, which is a function app, which is encoding in Azure. Uh, and Dataverse is a SQL database on Azure, but it's configured right. in a way that low code, anybody can do it. And yep. what they thought to themselves was, well, we could build the platform on that same infrastructure. So you're, if you create a custom table in, in Power Platform to save your data, there's a system table where your flow is stored. So it's the same data structure. So again, they, they're using their own platform. And that meant moving to this more solution-based, but, but now I can see it because it's all in one place. But that drive, if you look at how they started, which was very much, it's all about citizen developers, all about citizen developers, which is great. But then they realized, like, let's see, big companies might go, well, I need to see what's going on. And I need to put some controls. And governance now is very important. And Microsoft talk about it a lot. And then that's the perfect sweet spot. You empower your people, but you can, you can do your governance and your visibility and your controls from an IT team centrally. And that to me is where it sort of always started that, but it's kind of getting there now. Okay, great. So, okay, let's talk about the latest sort of addition to the Power Platform family, which is sort of Copilot. 
which might then be a nice segue into our discussion on AI, which I'm excited about. So tell me about Copilot. What is it? When is it available? What could it do? So Copilot all started out of GitHub. And what Git and Copilot was doing is what was brilliant about, and this is why Microsoft, I think, bought GitHub was you had a repository of millions of lines of code. So they were able to put that into a data, into an AI model, which they could then scan it and find the best way to do so. So Copilot was brilliant. You could ask it a question. It would either tell you the answer on how to do it, or it could even put it into your code. You could go, right, read this structure and it would put it straight in. So Copilot was almost like a new UI. It was a bit where you could right. type in human language and it would actually do this for you. And that's the exciting bit. And that's where you can see Copilot. You know, we went from keyboards to mice to touch screens. Well, Copilot is almost like you kind of think about that as the next for me, because you can, it'll be talking and it'll be typing. It's very much the next evolution of interfaces. Now, Microsoft saw how great that was. And then OpenAI came along and they were like, well, actually, we can take that model and it's not just built on code and we can drive it into our products. And with everything that kind of puts the stock, the share price up and catches fire. So Copilot went from GitHub to Copilot to Power Platform to Windows to Office. So Copilot will be everywhere mm. and it's their brand. I, I predict that Power Virtual Agent will become Power Copilot very soon. And I think yesterday they announced the studio is already been renamed. So you can see it's going to it's going to blow up. A recap on on how how it connects or aligns with OpenAI. Um, so OpenAI uses a model, which is a GPT mm. model. Mm. It's gone there, but that model is kind of like how it analyzes words and predicts and understands what you're meaning. Yeah, and you can take that model and you can use it multiple places. So Microsoft have inferior the similar model. The box because they're investing in AI, but then they and then what these models do is it all depends what data you put in the model and analyze that made data. So, and that's, if you ever use something like ChatGPT, the great thing to do is summarize this text or yeah. from this text to this. And that's what GPT model is brilliant at. It would take that data. Now, OpenAI had a huge data set, so you could you didn't have to put that text in. And Microsoft obviously got a big one with Bing Chat. But from your business, what is really powerful is if you put your own data in there and say, from this data, answer this question or do this thing. Right. And that's where kind of co-pilots are going to come along. Microsoft will load up how to use Excel, all the data, all the documentation, have it ready. Then you will ask Copilot, how do I do this? It will go into that data. It will find what it's looking for and it will bring it back. And at first it will tell you and eventually it will just do it for you because you'll be able to link in the systems. Copilot is A, a brand mm. and B, it's it's the data behind it. So if right. you've got OpenAI, it's got the internet. If you've got yeah. the Copilot from GitHub, it's got data. So your you Copilot right. is a bit more targeted with the data set. And what will come, what's coming as well is that businesses will be able to have their own co-pilot and you put your data in there. So let's okay. say your standard practices or your sales data, then you can ask it and it will bring out your data. Right. And that's the the bit that companies are wary of. How do I ring fence my data? Yeah. How do you, and that's what Microsoft are trying to get on. And they've already had a few sure. arguments with OpenAI saying, well, we're more secure. And Microsoft obviously leverage and like kind of, you've got external data as well in their own data pool. So you can imagine that they have your data, Microsoft's data, and then the internet. And then you can hop between that and the models get better at self-taught. So you can see it's definitely the arms race of who's going to have these models. I think Amazon is spinning one up. Facebook have already done one. I think it's Llama, I think it is. Yeah. So everybody's got these kind of GPT models, but it's all about the data you put in there and how you keep evolving and retraining and improving the prompts, as I just said. Yeah, massive. And, and you said that Copilot is eventually going to be able to actually 
type or enter formulas for for you in, in Excel? Yeah, well, interesting one for you, Ready, You've already got a integration with Power Automate from Copilot. So already in Copilot, you can trigger a flow already. Right. So in theory, you could put in your model that says, uh, how, do, how do I get this information? And the model, Copilot will say, did it, would you like this information? And you go, yes. It would go call a flow, put your information, keep the information. So you can see wow. that's already coming. Yeah. But eventually that full integration will come along where, and if you look at Copilot in Power Automate, you say to it, I want a loop that does this. It will put it straight into the flow for you. It will literally add, the, add it in for you. You don't have you, to. You, there's, something, there's something vague, similar on, on Zapier, right? So they've got yeah, an yes, AI yeah. integration and you can effectively sort of say, I want to achieve the following yes. and, it, and it will recommend a flow for you. Yeah. So, Pretty rudimentary, possibly, given by by in contrast to what possibly it sounds like you can achieve with automate. Um, yeah, but and that's where I, that's where I have a little I worry about that direction. For me, Copilot is in the name; it's an assistant. It's mm. Co. I mm. like it if you ask it a question, it tells you how to do it and why. Yeah, and then you use it. Now yeah. the power power automate instance was how do we do this? It went and did it. Yeah. Now the reason I don't like that is a you're not learning because right. you just did. B, it's not necessarily always right. And C, it's definitely never the most efficient. When I've seen it, it's never the most clever, efficient way to do it. So you're going to end up with people making stuff and not know how to do it, and it's been done badly. <laughs> Presumably, when it generates the flows, you can go in there and edit, edit. it and you know, review it, edit it. And yeah, yeah. Essentially, well, yeah. yeah. But I also think as well, there should always be a barrier. Like, if I yeah, want to do right. something, there needs to be an investment in time and learn. Well, if you allow anybody to do anything with zero effort, then you're going to get a lot of noise and a lot of wasted resources and stuff that isn't. For me, there needs to be a curve. Like if I learn, put a little bit of effort, learn this, I get reward. And then I do the next and the next. It needs to be a nice curve. If yeah. you go straight to, I ask you, you make something. I don't know what it does. I don't yeah. know the value of it, but I've done it and made it. That to me is a good thing to go down. So a bit of a black box, right? Yeah. And noise, you know, you imagine yeah, like, how do you track value and what's good and all those good developers and you've got, Thousands of people making stuff that they don't know what they're doing and they, there's no value. So what's the future? I mean, you know, the near future, what can we expect from the Power Automate or the Power Platform and Copilot? And we've already touched on a few things, but let's say the next, you can't really go too far out, can you? It's like 24 months, yeah. let's say. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Copilot is the big one and that's the focus. Uh, and Copilot will drive, like I say, you, people will start having their own personal assistants in each software. So you imagine that you... You could even have one like I've got an Excel report. I want a copilot there that helps people use it or whatever. So that's coming like your own generate copilot. That's, that sounds like that could be coming as, as soon as next year. Or... Yeah. At the moment, there, were, there is an Excel copilot, but you imagine you have a copilot per report or copilot per. So that's that, that, that's where I think things will come. They will, you're right. Like and that's where PBA, I think, will grow into, into a copilot. PBA next, is what's the private virtual agent. That's your chatbot. Okay. Yeah, right. and that's always that's the newest. Well, that's like the power page is kind of quite still quite new to power platform. It's about four years old and it's still growing, but it's going to have that. Originally, the chatbots are very process. If you answer this, do this. If you that is time consuming and hard to maintain, you yeah. put a GPT model in there. You just point it at your data, and it just constantly updates. That's the exciting. Which kind of goes back to the point you made about RPA, right? So yeah. that's it's it's let's just make a distinction between RPA and, and intelligent automation or AI enabled automation, right? So RPA, you really do have to give it clear instructions and 
essentially uh, it will just follow those instructions over and over again and, and there's no no ability to independently yeah so intelligent them. automation if you look at intelligent automation under that rpa one of the solutions ai is the other like you say so you got think of it as structured data unstructured data mm. so ai is great for the unstructured but it's not as as accurate as it's structured so that's where rpa is great because it's consistent and if it's the right solution it 999.999 time never fails where AI at the moment, you know, you're eight, you often see you have to have a human in the loop to validate. Now, over time, it's just going to get better and better and better. So you can see the RPA becoming more and more AI, but I see it as in more like the AI becomes parts of the automation. So instead of you doing, if this go to this, if this go to this, you drop an AI thing that says, figure it out and it'll figure it out for you. So you kind of get a hybrid approach. From the other side, the power platform. I've talked about governance. I see managed environments exponentially growing. So they're on a journey to make this more of an IT supported empowerment tool. So instead of it, it's more IT teams are going to get involved. And that's going to drive the power of it, get more and more powerful, which I think is brilliant. So as a citizen developer, you can start easy and you're like more like me, have a path to kind of progress through. And then power pages is obviously very important to Microsoft. It's new. That's the external facing website system. That's going to get a lot of focus and a lot of drive. I think, unfortunately, Power Automate is quite established and quite not a lot of development in Power Automate, which is my favorite, but things like Copilot and PVA and, and Power Apps. And so that you can see a lot of development there. Okay, great. So let's just wrap up with um, some thoughts around, you know, where, where you've seen this actually being mostly used, you know, which, which, what, what kind of functional teams within large organizations are getting the most out of platform. Definitely the, my experience, people like logistics and process driven ones. So mm. finance teams have, have a lot of it. If they're dealing stuff like invoice and consistent processing and um, logistics, moving items, they are pretty big for them. You have a process that is standardized, but often kind of human, uh, human orientated. That is huge. And they're the teams that generally pick it up first logistics or finance teams or whatever teams are very process driven. So that, that is definitely like the teams that get the big value from it because they often handle critical systems that you don't want to fall over and you need consistency. So yeah, definitely those. I suppose there's a rule of thumb, you know, whether or not a process can be automated, whether or not it's to the extent to which it's repetitive, time consuming, prone to human error, right? You know, so exactly. if you could, and that's a big win. If you, if you can automate a process to eliminate or reduce human error, that's a, that's a major exactly. business and, benefit. Yeah. And for me, it's also a benefit for the person. If your job is often doing repetitive things, what you want to do is take away that the repetitive bits and just take mm. the value that you give your expertise. Mm. And that's where people often worry about RPA and, and AI taking jobs. For me, what it does is it changes your job. It allows you to be more productive and do more things. And that's what every experience I've seen is RPA gives people better job roles and allows them to progress a lot better. Yeah. I think when we spoke last session, you touched on how like a accounting role might evolve, right? So it includes some low code automation skills. Absolutely. Cause like, I think back, you know, like Excel, how often do you see in a job role? Can you do Excel? Yeah. I perceive that definitely happening with low code. The interesting thing at the moment, the low code is it's still a booming industry. So there's lots of players and if there's lots of players, it becomes a little bit challenging for like CVs, but things like the power platform, which is now quite established and everybody's got office that they've got the power platforms. I can see that coming on job roles quite as a, like a skill rather than a role. It's part of your role. You need to understand these things as well. Yeah. That is, I can definitely see that coming. It's such a valuable and it's something that is growing throughout 
in the industry. Uh, do you have any view on you know where geographically where these power platforms being gaining most traction? Obviously in the US, presumably UK. What about Europe? Other other areas? Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. Uh, I mean, that you know, we see it in India, we see it in Australia, I've seen right. it in US. Cross the bit. Yeah, absolutely. And and that goes back to the fundamental value of it. And there's multiple players and there's different in different areas, it's different ones, but any company will see the value in it from small companies to, to large scale companies. It's literally everywhere. Just to, just to start finishing off, but um, just thinking through about uh, the environment that I work in, which is highly regulated financial services, you know, banking and financial institutions and uh, payment processing. And going back to the whole point you made around shadow IT and the need for governance around the, the applications that are being de- developed within the organization. Are we seeing low-code solutions that are being adopted in that rate highly regulated environment? Yes, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Again, because the benefits that you talked about there, removing people from processes and consistency of processor data, it's a really powerful tool for people. You know, instead of having that person open and check that and type that information in, you they never see that information. It's consistently entered uh, and it empowers teams to be agile and quick. That's often the problem of being on IT solutions is there's a, a lead time to get things moving. Whereas low code allows you to POC something today, get it fully designed in two weeks and then kind of go on your normal journey of like, you know, security checks and stuff like that. But you can do it a lot quicker. So I suppose that whole digital acceleration piece is mm-hmm. fundamental as well, right? So we've spoken about, you know, the risk management and, and control and governance, but, 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 but at the bottom, you know, fundamentally it's all about accelerating your digital transformation as a business, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. And you came from a doer to an enabler. Everything's about enabling things. Instead of doing that process, you enable that process to run on its own. And that kind of skill set change a little bit, where I think where people suddenly step away from the, the granularity and more around enabling it. And has it changed the way you actually develop software as a team? And obviously you've gone from, well, as an organization, gone from waterfall to agile to some, is it, are we moving into different, in different kind of Yeah, it, it drives that DevOps approach. It very much mm. drives closer to the point. So what Agile did brilliantly was you got the customer, the business close to you and you did mm. regular checks. Right. And what will happen with Waterfall was, you, let's say you wanted something, I would go and build it. Six months later, I'll show it to you and you'll, and you'll go, that's wrong. Well, I'll change yes. my mind. Yeah. Well, Agile was every two weeks, we check in, we check in. Well, low code is you got rid of that because the person who wants it yeah. potentially is making it. So yeah. you're right at the point of need which is big strength, mean that you make exactly what you want and you can change it as quickly as you need to. As long as you can leverage the standard systems behind the governance and the controls on the IT side, get that kind of working very much at the point of need. And okay, just to finish off, you know, for the audience, how, how, what, what's your tips, best tips on how you actually get started in this uh, low-code environment? Yeah, for me, if, find yourself, if you've got low-code in your business, like Power Platform, that's perfect. Look at your your role and think, well, what's what in that role A, do I not want to do? And B, could I you know, get rid of it and automate it for myself? Mm. And and find yourself a problem. That's always been my drive. Right. Find something that you can get value from and help yourself. And then you just go on the go and learn. Just just do it. And the best thing about things like this is, like I said to you, it's it's a positive feedback loop. You automate something and you get a bit more time. And then you've got more time to 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 invest in yourself. We're terrible at investing in ourselves in our jobs because we've got Mm. some pressure, but automation actually gives you stuff back. So yeah, you can kind of find yourself something you want to 
want to make life better and then just go and do it. Just play with it, test, learn. Are there also training programs? Yeah. I mean, like I said, there's so many great training courses. There's so many great providers. Microsoft Learn gives you brilliant training documentation as well. You can go on your same training modules, like on your own still. And that's what's great about, well, I said, I love the Power Platform and all the solutions are similar, but Power Platform in particular, there is a wealth of people asking questions, people answering it, training documentations. You know, LinkedIn is a great place where I go in there and I see what's happening because it's, it's constantly changing and evolving. You get a network of people you can ask and help. So, but I always say that before you go on a training course, do it yourself or not, but first, like I yeah. say, be inquisitive, play with it, learn, see if you like it, what you want from it. And then if you want to accelerate and go quicker, dive in those training courses because then they'll move you a lot faster on the curve. Dave, thank you so much today. It's been really, really interesting insights from you. For the audience, again, what's the best way of reaching you? Just flip through LinkedIn. I'm sure you've got there. Just message me there. Yeah, perfect, Dave. Thank you so much again, and we'll uh, speak again soon. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas, or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.